say hello and good morning. It is good to be with you. My name is John Wayne McMahon, one of the pastors here at Marvin. Um, it is always good when we can gather. Those that are joining us online or maybe watching later on in the week, we are grateful for you. We don't take it for granted uh, when you come and join us. If you're new or visiting, thank you for being here and trusting us with your time today. As we turn to Ephesians 4, we are continuing our sermon series called Jesus Together. And just a teaser, what I want you to see in Ephesians 4 is what is possible in the community that's following Jesus. Ephesians 4 is going to open that up for us. Hear the word of the Lord. As a prisoner for the Lord, then I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the spirit through the bond of peace. There is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. But to each one of us, grace has been given as Christ apportioned it. This is why it says, when he ascended on high, he took many captives and gave gifts to his people. What does he ascended mean except that he also descended to the lower earthly regions? He who descended is the very one who ascended higher than all the heavens in order to fill the whole universe. So Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, and the teachers to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we, re we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Then we will no longer be infants, tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of people and their deceitful scheming. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will grow to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head that is Christ. From him, the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. Let's pray together. God, we give you thanks again for your presence here with us, Lord. And I pray that you would add your blessing to the reading of this scripture, your holy word. Where we are empty, would you fill us? Where we are weak, would you strengthen us? Where we are wrong, would you correct us? And would you send us out once more? And God, I pray for myself that you'd speak through me or in spite of me, but may it be your message that's delivered. We love you and trust you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Let all God's people say, amen. Small groups. Small groups are like a buzzword for the church. We love it. We talk about small groups all the time, especially for the last 30 years. Um, the conversation has been about small groups in the church. Community is another buzzword that we love to talk about. We love our small groups and our programming and getting people into community. And they come in all shapes and sizes. Uh, Sunday school usually is taught by a teacher, someone who lectures and gathers people. There's community there, there's friendship and building of community. But a lot of times Sunday school is someone who is teaching. It is more of a one-way um, experience. Or maybe home groups, which is small groups with some kind of curriculum. Maybe we're studying through a book of the Bible and we ask questions of the text that we're looking at. 
Um, or maybe something random like knitting groups. The church I came from had a little group of little old ladies that got together every week for decades to knit prayer shawls and pray over them. And this was their small group. They prayed together. They knew everything about one another. And as they knit those prayer shawls, they did life together. Marvin Menders is an example I think of. When I think of uh, what is happening at Marvin, Marvin Menders, if you don't know who they are, they do all kinds of things. We don't even know what all they do. Uh, A bunch of retired, mostly guys that are handy with their hands and know how to work with tools. And they show up at our church folks' houses that need things done or help build things. They built stuff here, even this year at Backstage and helping us with platforms and stuff like that. And these guys are with each other all the time. They do life together. There's all kinds of different small groups. I have a friend that does theology on tap where they gather at a local brewery and hopefully in moderation uh, have a discussion about theology and hard questions and difficult things. I have another friend who has a small group that meets at Buffalo Wild Wings every Monday night for Monday night football and has small group and discussion there. I haven't been able to convince Lauren that this is a calling that's in front of me, but I'm still working on that. What is critical? What's important about small group when we have all these different kinds of small groups? As we continue our series on Jesus together, I want to talk about community and a community that helps us on the apprenticeship of following Jesus. And what I'm about to do in the next however many minutes we have together is not to critique all of these small groups because every, every one of these small groups create value in our community. They bring good things to us. But if we were to look to the Bible to look at what is community that helps us on the way of Jesus, it has some very critical characteristics about community. And I believe Ephesians 4 gives us that, invites us to see what community is supposed to be, what needs to be a part of it, and what it does to people when they're in this kind of community. Now, if you weren't here last week, we started with what does it mean to be a follower of Jesus? If you missed that, I won't re-preach that today because I want to get home for the Cowboys at three o'clock, and so do you. But go back and listen to that. It's on YouTube or Facebook, or you can listen to it on Spotify because we in the church, I argued, and I, I, not just me, but a lot of people believe that we have largely got discipleship wrong in the church, that we've created this idea that discipleship is about an intellectual belief in some construct about God and then marginal experience of churchy things over life. Now that's a rough summation of last week, but we've gotten this wrong to the point where we've missed what the Bible and what Jesus calls us to in discipleship. And a better way of thinking of it is being an apprentice of being with Jesus, staying with him, becoming like him and doing what he does in the world. And so today the focus is where is the community that helps us to do that? Ephesians 4 is going to show us those things. Some background on Ephesians is this is a general letter that is likely written to the surrounding region called around Ephesus. So not just to the church in Ephesus, it seems to be written with general ideas in mind to bring some incredibly important life-changing truths to the churches that are getting started in the area of Ephesus. So written by Paul, but probably for the intentions of being circulated, right? So this is what it looks like to have community in Ephesians 4. That's meant to go 
into all of these places, not just one location. And he has made it clear in Ephesians already in the letter, in the first few chapters. By the way, you can read Ephesians in, in like no time at all. Go look at that letter. It's jam-packed with what Paul believes has happened in Jesus Christ. And so those first few chapters, even chapter one, is like this giant run-on sentence as he just kind of blurts out everything that has become true in Jesus Christ. Some of the radicalness of his statement is to point out that there is now a new ethnic, that there's no longer all of these different kinds of people in Jesus Christ. Now we are coming together in this new ethnic. We are now a new family in Jesus Christ. No longer simply Jew and Gentile anymore. That's the big thing that's happened for Paul in writing into the region of Ephesus. But also no longer rich and poor and all of these social classes that has been um, all over the place in the Roman culture that existed around this time. It has been broken and overcome by Jesus Christ and what he has done in the cross and resurrection. The best synopsis of the beginning of Ephesians I can find is chapter two, verse 19. I want you to see it. Consequently, you are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with God's people and also members of this household built on a foundation of the apostles and the prophets with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. In him, the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in him, you two are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. And so what Paul is doing in the beginning is saying, listen, Christ has accomplished what is necessary so that you are no longer foreigners, no longer strangers, but you are brought into the family. It doesn't matter how you came in here today. You are now in this family. And not only is it a classification or a new family, a group, but you are not just a group of people. You're actually a temple to which when you are built together, God's presence will dwell right there. So Paul's laying it down in the first few chapters of Ephesians. And so when he gets to chapter four, he provides this bridge with all of this that's been said. I want you to live a life that resembles that truth. Live a worthy life is the phrase that Paul uses repeatedly. Look at verse one and two again. As a prisoner for the Lord, then I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received be humble and gentle, be patient, bearing with one another in love. Live a worthy life of the calling you have received. This is the apprenticeship community. You have been given life and how will you walk in it? How do we live a life that is worthy? How do we be, be with Jesus, become like Jesus and do what Jesus did? He says to live in this community. Now he gives three movements in Ephesians 4, 1 through 16 that I think are important for us when we think about community. The first one is that Jesus community shares unity. And we'll talk about that one in just a second. The second one, if you're a note taker, type A person in the room, this is your outline. Jesus's community shares unity. The second one, Jesus gives gifts in community. And the third one, Jesus community is where truth is lived. Okay, so let's look at Jesus' community. Uh, community shares unity. 
Paul begins by radically making the claim that the church, the community of God, those that have been called together, are in community with the triune Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Now listen, Paul has not worked out Trinitarian theology by the time he's writing Ephesians 4. But the early church is gonna look at what Paul says and other New Testament writers, understanding that the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are at work in the world and they begin to develop this idea of Trinitarian theology. So you get pro-Trinitarian theology. You get to see where it starts to be developed right here in Ephesians 4. And Paul says this radical thing. He says, there is one God who we follow. There is one Lord. And we as the community are caught up in relationship and community with the triune God. The one who was from the beginning is now and will always be. The church is now in community with that Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. It's a radical thing that should give you a headache right? It should make your head spin a little bit because that, that changes things when we gather on Sunday morning. If we are gathered up into the fellowship of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. This is how he says it in verse three. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. There is one body, one Spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God, and Father of all who is over all, through all, and in all. He says one seven times, even to a glance of a reading at this, these few verses, you can tell that Paul is trying to make a point. We could spend a whole sermon here, but I want to talk about just a few characteristics of unity that comes out in these few verses. First, there is one body. This body is joining together diverse people. Jew and Gentile come together to make one body. Wealthy and educated and poor come together in Ephesus to make one body. The whole thesis of Ephesians are crossing these barriers together. It is also the crossing of every socioeconomic barrier that we see around Ephesus in this time. But notice though, the vision is not a loss of diversity, but it's a joining together of diversity. You are not flattened out of who God created you to be in community. You bring your diversity to play in this unity. Diversity is then actually vital to the apprenticing community. And the reason why I wanna make this point very, very strong is because too often in the church today, we are drawn to homogenous community. We only hang out with people who look like us, talk like us, and dress like us. And too often churches are filled with those people and folks that look different or talk different or act different or don't worship God the way that we do. They don't feel welcomed or aren't welcomed into our spaces. But it's further than that. Do you know how often as pastors, I get a phone call from someone that say, hey, I've been visiting the church and um, I'm 34 years old and I'm single, but I'm fostering a child and I like knitting and I enjoy reading and um, I'm looking for somebody that's a group that has people like me. Or, hey, I'm a a grandfather, um, I'm a a widow, a widower, and um, I just moved here and I'm looking for a bunch of folks in this level of life that's with me. And the problem is, is across our churches, we have a bunch of segmented demographics across the board. And I know it's good to be with people that are in the same season of life as you, 
But what Ephesians seems to say is that diversity together is important because we are one body. Bringing this together is important. Could it be that you might learn from a seasoned mom, mom who has young children? And could it be dad who is in the middle of your career and struggling with identity, believing that what you do in your career is actually who you are, that you might be able to learn from a Christian who has walked down that road. Guys, I don't need more of y'all that are raising kids our age because I know I don't even know what the heck is going on. And so if you tell me you do, you're lying, right? I need some folks that know about perseverance and know about hard days. Diversity is vital to the apprentice community. But secondly, this is the most important part. Diversity is held together because there's one hope. The thing that joins together diversity is the one hope we have. One Lord, one faith, one baptism. This is our hope. Not hope of building up our own lives and making everything right by ourselves. Not hope of just living our best life. Not hope of self-discovery and self-enlightenment and just learning enough or just becoming who we're supposed to be in the world. Not hope in some postmodern utopian future of progress and education and societal achievement. Not hope that the world is just gonna figure things out, but hope in the one Lord the one who has defeated death itself and sits on the throne, not hope in any other God, no hope, but the one that is eternal life, but also life for us today. That's the only way diversity can come together in unity is being focused on this hope. Unity is created in a diverse community that is running towards the same hope. Finally, there is one Christian family, these verses tell us, because there is one God and Father who is above all, in all, and over all. We are all called into the family together. It is not revelatory to point out that we live in a divisive time, right church? We know that. Everything is about divining ourselves and what makes us different from someone else whether it's offering up our pronouns, whether it's declaring ourselves as Republican or Democrat or pro this or pro that or Methodist or Baptist or Catholic or gentle parenting, peaceful parenting, positive parenting. I don't even know what all of those are. Those of you that have parented a while ago, you're like, what are you doing? We're just making stuff up at this point, I promise. <laughs> vaccinated, not vaccinated. I saw a Tyler social media group and someone was trying to start a home church, but only for those that hadn't gotten vaccinated. Our denomination is like this too. If you don't know anything about the United Methodist Church, let me just tell you some of our dirty laundry, right? We know more about what we're against than what we're for. But that's how we are too, isn't it? We know more of what we stand against than who we are and what we're for. And Paul is calling the whole church to this unity. But before Marvin can know this unity, we must practice unity in small groups. 
before you can ever expect to be unified with someone over here that votes different than you do, that was raised different than you do, that's facing different life circumstances. You have to be in relationship enough to get to know what Christ is doing in that person's life. We have to be in community. A church this big will never know the unity that Ephesians 4 is talking about unless we're in close relationship with one another. And too often we just hide in our churches. I grew up that way. I know what that's like. I faded in and out when it was just good or convenient for me. When you get up and shake hands with each other, I hated that, right? I would go to the bathroom at the beginning so that I wasn't there and had to meet other people. But it is vital for this unity. And if we can do that, then when our diversity comes together, it actually brings a fuller life into picture. Because listen, what I know of the hope of Jesus Christ, it is very small by myself. But what you know about overcoming addiction, what you know about fostering kids, what you know about overcoming cancer, what you know about finding your life in Christ in the midst of a career and a midlife situation, what you know about Jesus putting your marriage together, when those are together, the diversity of suffering and hardship, the diversity of Jesus healing is together, then we get a fuller picture of what Jesus is actually up to. Unity is important. Unity that holds our hearts and our minds on the path of Jesus. Secondly, Jesus gives gifts in community. Y'all, when we talk about community, it's not just support group. Churches have that and those are important. But what I'm talking about here with Ephesians 4 is not just a support group. It's not just a place where we just encourage one another in love. Even though that's biblical, it will happen, but that's not all that happens. This is a place where something is given in this community. And you see it in Ephesians 4 verse 11. Christ himself gives the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, and the teachers to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we reach unity in the faith and knowledge of the Son of God and become mature. Listen, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. What Paul says here is that when we get together in community, Christ who is the head, who has accomplished all and sits at the throne, he actually gives gifts to the body so that the body might grow into maturity. Those gifts, he says, are apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers. Now there's different parts of the New Testament that talks about the spiritual gifts at work in individuals into the world. And I don't want you to focus on that here. What is being described by Paul in Ephesians 4 is the people that are given to the community. So it's not about the offices of the apostle. It's about the fact that Jesus gave apostles to the community. He gave prophets, he gave teachers, and he gave pastors. 
Think about that in community. In community, we have the apostle, and that's, that could be those that expand the gospel into new places, creating community. It could be the prophet, those that hear from God and speak for God clearly into community. It could be the evangelist, those that bring Christ to new places, but also quickens our step for those that are walking on the path of Jesus. The pastor, those that provide care and theological oversight, helping community to live this worthy life. The teacher, those who bring the revelation of God and Jesus Christ to life for everyone that is around them. Friends, let me ask you a question. Do you think that these titles are reserved for vocational professional ministers like Jerry and I only? No. No. If you think that Jerry and I can somehow live into apostle prophet, evangelist, pastor, and teacher, you're gonna be disappointed. And we will only do a small slice of what God wants to do with us as a community. This is about what Jesus, as the head of the body, actually pours into the body, and it's all of you. And it's not about, I don't want you to worry about what is an apostle, am I a prophet? What I want you to see is that when Jesus forms the body, he actually pours out gifts and those gifts are you. And so when we isolate ourselves from community, then we miss out on what God brings through you. You are the gift that we're missing when you're not involved in the small community. This is what Jesus is doing. He's at work when we're in this community. Does he want us to feel better about life? Yes. Does he want to give us hope and joy? Yes. Does he want to encourage us when we're having a bad parenting week or we're having a bad school week or a bad week at work? Yes, of course. But he also, above all, wants to see the body mature and experience the fullness of Christ. And so he gives you, he gives gifts to be a part of that. Thirdly, community is where we live Jesus' truth. My favorite part of this passage is the closing. So much so that I wrote my thesis on Ephesians 4 and spent like two years looking at this little passage. There is a beautiful image here for what it looks like to be a faithful worshiping community. Let's read it again. Verse 14. Then we will no longer be infants, tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of people in their deceitful scheming. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will grow to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head that is Christ, speaking the truth to one another in love. It's a verse we love. It is, especially when we feel like we want to say something critical of that person that's annoying you. I'm just going to go speak the truth in love, right? The Greek here is more rigid. If you were to give a rigid translation of this phrase, speaking the truth to one another in love, speaking actually misses it by a lot. It actually means truthing with one another, which is bad English. So the English translators didn't know what to do with it, but it means to live out truth with one another. So community, an apprenticeship community is where we live out the gospel truth with one another. So let me give you an example. These class meetings that I'm gonna start introducing next week. Um, I just went through a leadership training and I had individuals that were in this leadership training where we are practicing this kind of community. 
And I remember one week that one individual in our group began to share a story of witnessing to their faith and just being a friend to someone they met at the DMV. I don't know about you, I don't do much pleasant thing, many pleasant things in the DMV, right? I go in there with my head down and just pray that I'm in and out quickly, right? You know what I'm talking about? The de- Department of Motor Vehicles, is that what it's called? And you know what I'm talking about? Well, where you go for seven hours and then you don't have what you needed when you got there. <laughs> and, and this person began to share about giving a ride home from someone and just being in relationship with them. And I'll never forget that night, someone else in the room um, begins to confess out loud. I don't think I've ever shared with anyone out in public outside of church and you just gave someone a ride home. And the same night, someone says something about what God's been teaching them in prayer and begins to speak about prayer. And a few moments later, another individual says, I don't think I've ever prayed out loud. And a couple weeks later, that person comes back and goes, I I prayed out loud. I I prayed out loud. I'm learning how to pray. This is what it looks like to live truth with one another. For us to anchor ourselves, if this is the way of apprenticeship, can we do it in community so that by my testimony, by your testimony, I actually am encouraged and built up and we go together in the direction that God is calling us to. Paul is telling the Ephesians to live truth with one another. Church, if we will live gospel truth with and next to one another, then we will become Christ-like, Ephesians 4 says. But if we don't, you can go to church every Sunday and you can learn a ton of things about Jesus, but I wonder if maturity might be fleeting, if it's hard for us to be formed into this way, at least the way Paul's putting it here in Ephesians 4. Let me give you another example. We have a four-year-old, two-year-old, and third one on the way, right? Lord, help us. The way my kids learn is by spending time with us living truth of life with them, right? Now, uh, the hard part is determining what truth we're living in front of them. That's another sermon. Come on, can I get an amen? Amen. Sometimes we live out the truths we don't want to, like truths of fear and scarcity and truths of selfishness and choosing career or choosing those other things in front of our kids. But again, that's another message. But as we live out truth in front of them, as they go to school and learn from teachers, as they um, are around kids their age, but also older kids, as they watch things that are happening, as they are formed, they are not as susceptible to everything that is around them, right? Right now, my four-year-old, what I learned hard yesterday, this weather kept us all stuck inside. And I learned that my four-year-old is still, still susceptible to the disappointment when a living room fort won't hold up the way he wants it to, right? Some of y'all been there. And I had no idea how to fix that, right? But hopefully, as he is living truth with mom and dad, he learns perseverance and how to handle disappointment and how to see things as maybe not being as important as he thought they were. See, what Paul is getting at, when it comes to faith, Paul is inferring that we are infants being tossed back and forth by the waves, and I wonder if it's because we spend very little time in community that lives out truth in front of us. Because you're being shaped and formed by truth from every angle of your life. How many of us have spiritual parents that are living truth for us? How many of us are in community where we're able to 
as scary as that sounds, live out truth for those that are starting out on this journey and this path. Jesus says here through Paul that this is my community. This is how we are built up into the maturity. This is how you experience the fullness of Christ. Church, and I'm ta- if you're visiting and you're new, you get to see an insight here, okay? So this isn't for you. I'm talking to the folks that have been in church. It is easy for us to hide in church. It is easy for us to be passengers on an airplane and just be going in the same general direction but not know anybody that's around us. But y'all, when we're in that place, we're not experiencing the giftedness, the the gifts that come from God. We're not experiencing the maturity that comes from the diversity of lives and the diversity of witness. We're not experiencing the hope that I desperately need to hear from you or from you. We're not experiencing what it is to see truth in someone else so that as I see things that aren't truthful in the world, as I see a million other things that claim to be truth, I don't know what to look at anymore. And if that's you, I just want to tell you, I know what that's like. I know what it's like to experience church that way. I grew up in church and didn't know Christ until I was in my 20s. And if that's you, there is never, it's never too late to say, man, I want to go on this journey and I want to be in community and I want to learn what it is to live truth. But you have to take a step. There's too many that I'm seeing and talking to and praying with right now that want all of these things but won't take a step in that direction. And if this is true, man, this shapes everything for us, doesn't it? Let me close with this idea because I got too preachy today. I've been reading a lot of the late, great Eugene Peterson. He's a pastor to pastors, but you may know him as the author of the Message Translation. And as he was starting the church that he would serve for 30 years, which might, I don't know, might be 50 or 60 years now, um, he begins to describe what he saw as American stereotype of the church that needs to be broken. And it's interesting that this many decades later, I think it still applies. And I'm kind of loosely paraphrasing Peterson, but he said, the story of the church has sadly largely become what we're doing for Jesus, what we do in Jesus's name. Making his point more clearly, he says the American stereotype is this, salvation is God's business. It is what he does. And then we think he turned it over to us. Church is our business. It's what we do. We do it in Jesus' name. We do it in his, for him. We know his commandments. We try to follow them. God has given himself to us in Jesus and now he retires to the sideline and we take over. And occasionally we'll call a timeout and we'll consult with him, right? Every now and then we'll just kind of pause and we'll stop and we'll come back there. And friends, I just want to put before you today, that's not the case. The community of apprentices, those that are following the way of Jesus are those that are constantly wrapped into the unity of the living triune God who is sitting on the throne, the one who is still calling disciples to follow him, the one who is still creating and still redeeming and still healing and still building here in this life. 
The community of apprentices are the ones that receive gifts from Jesus, the head of the body, the victor who currently rules and reigns and is bringing us to himself. The community is the one who is living the truth of our identity and purpose together, but only as a small story that's wrapped into his story. He is building his church and our stories are written into his When we think we are the action and we relegate God to the sideline, I think we're actually putting ourselves on the sideline. Because if it's just us that's acting, then we'll get to that thing whenever it's convenient. When life slows down, when baseball season's not going, soccer season, extracurricular, When we're the actors, we'll just wait until it kind of works out. Unless a crisis happens, God forbid, and then it kind of puts a fire under us and we jump in. But Jesus together is about saying there is a living God who is still redeeming and healing and calling us together. And this is the most important community, the ones that will hold me to the truth, that will live truth in front of me, that will help me to see what is right, that will hold my feet on the path of being with Jesus, becoming like Jesus, and doing what Jesus did in the world. This is our calling with Jesus together. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, let all God's people say amen. I want to encourage you to stand. Um, We respond each week by saying what we believe, which is the Apostles' Creed. This is a historic practice of the church that anchors what we believe. It points us in the direction that is appropriate, helpful, and truthful for us. So let's say these words together. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. The third day he rose from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sitteth at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From thence he shall come to judge the quick and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen.